Welcome to the One Signal Podcast, where we aim to educate on product, industry, and best practices that relates to building and growing a customer messaging practice. This is your host, Josh Wetzel. Uh, we've got a great guest today, Evan Goldstein, eBay's uh, Associate General Counsel. He's here to talk about GDPR and sort of the next data privacy law coming uh, January 1st, or called the uh, CCPA, or California Consumer Privacy Act. And he's a former colleague and a, and a friend, so excited to have him here. So welcome. Thank you. So Evan, what's, what exactly uh, is your role? Well, notwithstanding that, that title, I'm a team of one, and my role is to support all of eBay's advertising programs and products. So that includes everything from our, what we call our promoted listings product, which is a tool for sellers to enhance their own visibility and velocity on the eBay marketplace, as well as all of our what we call our third-party advertising products, which includes both a direct sales component and a programmatic monetization component. So I sort of run the gamut across all those. And before we get into the GDPR and CCPA stuff in particular, like how, how do these things kind of impact your part of the, of the eBay business? Like, Are you directly impacted by these things? Do you deal with them? Yeah, I, I would say every, every attorney that touches advertising in some shape or form has had to become conversant with privacy over the last few years, particularly with the advent of GDPR. I don't consider myself by any stretch a privacy specialist or expert, but if you can't speak the language, it's not that everyone needs to know chapter and verse, but if you don't understand the principles, you're sort of handcuffed in the level of service you can provide. Yeah. And you've got an interesting background. So you uh, you went to Uh-oh. undergrad. Where are you going now? <laughs> <laughs> you went to undergrad at Princeton. Uh, you got your uh, your law degree in uh, at the University of Southern California. Fight on. Um, but you've you've had a long kind of internet career. You, you did a stint at Yahoo, yes. and then did more of an earlier stage, uh, but public company at the time in demand media. Yep. Um, what brought you to eBay? That's a good question. It was a confluence of factors. One, my stint at Demand Media was um, was a great learning experience. I was there for about two years. The company started to, about a year, year and a half in. The company started to go through some macro transition. Some of the senior folks left. The company now is rebranded. It's called Leaf Group. It's a completely different animal. But you know, I had my first kid. We're really starting to get personal now. I had my, my kid was a baby, and it started to become a question of stability a little bit. And so having been at Yahoo in the late 2000s and going through all the turmoil there at the time, if you certainly remember all that, I felt you know, for the best interest of the family, it was time to kind of move up here where there was going to be some more stable opportunity. That yep. makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. Um, okay, so let's get into it. So GDPR, we're now almost two years into application. I guess it, it actually got applied, what, uh, April 1st? May of, of uh, 2018. Oh yeah, May 1st of, of 18, that's right. At, real quick, what is your take on how it's actually been applied? I know there's a lot of consternation and anxiety before it went into effect. Yeah. We worked together actually at the time, yes. and there was a whole team spun up yes. globally for eBay in particular to understand it. Now we're you know eighteen months past or twenty months past. Like, how do you feel it's been applied, and and what's been the sort of impact of it? Yeah, you, you know, you're you're absolutely right in characterizing it as a very tumultuous rollout. So GDPR, the design was 
to align and uh, centralize, harmonize a diverse set of sort of individual European nation regulations. Did it have that intended effect? I don't think we know yet for a variety of different reasons, right? You've got regulators. So the way that the regulatory structure works in Europe, or actually, let me back up. The way GDPR is applied is even if you're headquartered in the U.S., if you are processing a European citizen's data, you have to comply. And so if you are, let's say, Google, even though you're headquartered in California, you've got some headquarters in Europe of some kind. So let's say they're in Ireland. The Irish data protection officer or regulator in Ireland governs sort of enforcement, not the one in, say, France. But those different regulators interpret the impact of GDPR in different ways. And so for that reason, even though we're you know over a year, almost two years in, I think there still remains this huge cloud of uncertainty is like, when is the next shoe going to drop? And then you've got e-privacy on the horizon. Do you want to go into e-privacy? Like just, yeah, what is e-privacy? Yeah, e- like what, e-privacy was supposed to roll out, the e-privacy regulation, which was intended to clarify some of the ambiguity in GDPR and address things like the bases for dropping cookies and what you need to do when is consent required, opt-in, opt-out, et cetera. That just never happened, right? So GDPR took four years to negotiate and finally get rolled out. E-privacy remains under constant debate. And so until e-privacy gets finalized and rolled out, you continue to have, I mean, that's why like guys like me have a job and you, know, <laughs> you continue to have lawyers engaging with regulators, companies engaging with regulators on what is the proper interpretation of GDPR. And there's a lot of gray areas that continue to need to be addressed. And how does it, well, who regulates e-privacy? I think the, 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 the democratization structure where it's sort of decent, I think that remains the same. What e-privacy should do though is codify the different laws as res- with respect to things like cookies. It's also supposed to do things like address new technologies, like messaging technologies and, and things like that. I'm not an expert in e I just... Every time you talk to, uh, whether it's you know, a big company like Google or a regulator, you always have this specter of law that has yet to be written. And that is basically the shadow of e-privacy that's being cast. Okay. That makes sense. And so uh, back to the core point, like, yeah. or the question is, like, have there been surprises in the interpretation? Um, and, and do you see anything on the horizon? I mean, obviously it sounds like, e-privacy would be uh, kind of a key part of this. Yeah, but. that's coming. I, I would say a couple things. First, one of the core components of GDPR is you have to have, if you are determining the means and purpose of processing personal data, you have to have a legal basis for doing it. And so what that means is, and if you're engaging in that, you are what's called a data controller. A data controller needs to, if you're in the ad space or the media space, in order to get consent to monetize your business through advertising, one thing that's not surprising, and that was sort of part of the ambiguity of the initial GDPR rollout, was what sort of legal basis suffices? There are multiple different types of ways to justify data processing. One of them's consent. That's the most like rigorous one to do. And so what some of the 
the regulators are really coalescing around that notion that when GDPR initially rolled out in 18, you had a bunch of the ad tech companies and even agencies, media companies saying, look, I can rely on some of these other sort of more passive legal bases. One is called legitimate interest. You remember that from yep. One of the things that the regulators have started to really clarify is no, like you can't be passive about it. You need to actually get users to consent to process personal data to target ads. What is also unsurprising is that partly I think due to the fact that e-privacy hasn't rolled out, you haven't seen like Facebook or somebody just get crushed with the fines, right? Like one of the things we haven't touched on yet is everybody was crazy nervous about GDPR because of the potential for a massive fine, up to 4% of global turnover. And so if you're facing that and you have the uncertainty of, do I have enough of a basis to process this data? And you know, as like say an ad tech provider or even a service provider, like once if, if you're using data for your own purposes and you're not just a service provider, then arguably you need some legal basis to process. But if you have no touch point with the user and your legal basis has to be consent, you're just kind of stuck because how do you acquire consent from the user if you never engage with the user? And that's been, um, that is one of the issues that the IEB stepped in to help address. Yeah. We can go into that, if you, but yeah. It's a limitation of advertising. Um, yeah. So it's actually a good segue into CCPA because I yes. think that the fine thing is actually of a, a bigger concern because there's actually less, there's more ambiguity around it. And the fines actually have been stated exactly what they would be by instance, That's right. which is pretty crazy. <laughs> um, so just so everyone's aware, the California Consumer Privacy Act goes into effect uh, January 1st, although there's a moratorium, I think, for the first six, almost six months before they actually sort of will start applying. Correct. But there's uh, a look back. So, like, if you're not in compliance in January 1, you you're still on the hook. You're still on the hook. And the intentions of the act were to know what personal data is being collected about for the user, giving users that intention, um, and know whether their personal information is being sold and or to who, and then for them to sort of say no to those components. But there's a bunch of like general provisions in there, but not a lot of clarity around that. So what's your take on the law, and how do you anticipate it being applied? You know, I think it's helpful to, to put CCPA in context. Right, so part of the genesis of CCPA was to avoid a ballot initiative from this guy Alistair McTaggart. So this guy Alistair McTaggart's a rich California guy. He it's actually kind of a funny story. He was uh, this. I think this is true, but don't. It's fine. Hey, we're all, I, we're all about I, yeah, good I stories. Here. I was about to say, don't quote me on it, but then yeah. I realized you're recording this. <laughs> apparently was at a cocktail party with some engineer, and I think it might have been Google, who was describing all the different ways that data is used and processed. And this guy, McTaggart, flipped out, financed his own ballot initiative to pass this sweeping set of data privacy rules. The industry got together at the last minute to pass CCPA as sort of a compromise to get that ballot initiative taken back. Because of the haste in getting CCPA passed, you had some ambiguity that was sort of baked into the law. And that ambiguity was intended to be addressed through rulemaking by the California Attorney General over time. But that hasn't even been, some of it came out recently, but it's not been fully rolled out. And you were asking how it's going to be applied. Yeah. 
So look, the core, I mean, CCPA does a lot of things, right? It gives California resident consumers the right to know what data is being processed about them. It gives them the right to object to the sale of that data. It gives them the right to ask that the data be deleted. And it imposes a bunch of penalties for data breach and and other things. The part about sale is, to me, one of the more interesting ones for a few reasons. One, well, how did the law define sale? Not the way that you and I might think about it. It means pretty much any way of making the data available, whether it's proactive transmission or sharing in some office. Any way of sharing the data is tantamount to a sale. And so what does that mean? The law also says you have to, on every page where you're collecting or processing data, you need to give users notice that you're doing that and the opportunity to object. It actually prescribes a link. I'm not sure if it's a button specifically, but you'll start to see these buttons roll out on home pages that basically say, I think the law says the actual words that need to be in the button. It's do not sell my personal data, I think is what it has to say. So you'll see these buttons roll out. The question is, when the buttons are clicked, what happens? right? And so if sale means any disclosure, and you as the data, I mean, the CCPA doesn't have the concept of data controller and processor like GDPR, but there are some similar concepts. If you are the media company, if you're the website, if you're ESPN.com, and you have to have this button on your site if you're collecting and processing personal data, and let's say they engage with Google as a monetization provider, like almost everybody on the net does. They have to actually, if, if somebody clicks the button, the law requires that they simply cut off that data sharing. However, there's an exception for what's called service providers. And what that means is the sharing of the data doesn't qualify as a sale if you provide notice that you're sharing the data with the service provider and you have a contract with the service provider that essentially limits them to using the data only to effectuate your purpose, the controller's purpose. Yep. But if you're a company that uses data for other and you're, purposes... And you're clearly selling it to generate revenue yes. that's being shared among the parties. Then, then what do you do? Does that data sharing qualify for the exception or not? And I think that's some of the ambiguity that is yet to be resolved is... What actually happens when those buttons are clicked yep. is, a, is an unknown. How, how do you think, it's, it's a mess, by the way. Yeah, no, <laughs> um, totally. uh, you know, OneSignal is a, a service provider, and we have that relationship as a processor. But uh, clearly, as you state, there's a lot of ambiguity in between that. How do you think that this will change for e-commerce in particular, I think, are businesses that are probably going to be impacted even more so than denad-supported ones in the sense that they rely on that information quite a bit to make decisions, retargeting. Will they be impacted? Like if you're a, um, a Warby Parker or a um, you know an Allbirds, which is a local California-based brand yeah. Yeah. reselling, are those businesses impacted more? Is it more the media companies where they're relying on so many third parties? I would say this. I would say... The use case that CCPA, if you kind of read the background materials and like the, the press about, the intent was to, I think, address all the, the complex and disparate data sharing through the advertising ecosystem. It does have exceptions for use cases like preventing fraud. So, for example, let's say you're one of those e-commerce companies and you engage with a, 
a provider to to either provide, let's say, security service, data security services, or fraud prevention services, in all likelihood, that sharing will be classified as service provider sharing and therefore exempt from the sale uh, provisions. provisions. On the other hand, if you are ESPN or Yahoo that monetizes through advertising, it's more complex because the providers with which you engage in the ad ecosystem, it is not clear the extent to which they're using data outside the purposes of serving the contract. And that's always been the case since the inception, except for I mean, I keep harping on Google, but I'll give you a well, good a example. Great, great company in a many great ways. Great company, and, great company. Yeah. Um, but let me give you an example. Yep. DoubleClick always took the church and state sort of approach of how they dealt with their customers' data. DoubleClick being the ad server that yep. pervades the internet, right? Yep. And so when DoubleClick would ingest data to serve an AT&T ad on Yahoo, it would use the data solely for that purpose. It wasn't trying to put the user in an audience segment to then retarget them somewhere else. However, two years ago, and I'm just using Google as an example, two years ago, Google tied DoubleClick to its SSP, its AdX product, merging them together into a single platform. And because of that, activities that a publisher might otherwise classify as service provider activities start to become really gray. Because you don't really know which pipe your data is going into. And so if you are a media company, you really need to examine your contracts with your ad providers and really get clear on what data you're sharing and how your partners are using it. Okay. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. It's a a mess. So I think that (laughs) the, the other question that's on the mind of a lot of people and I've seen this come up in some forums that I've been in, is uh, we have this California law coming into effect. The EU, as a large entity, body of a large number of countries and a large population set, has one unified set of laws now that still obviously we're, we're still figuring out, but at least been deployed. Will there be a federal law come into effect that overrides the California law and creates a, a common set of, of principles and provisions that we all need to follow? I hope so, man. Um... <laughs> Do you have a lot of hope for legislation in the next uh, 14, 15, 16 months? No. I mean, look, so many important figures have come out in favor, right? You've got the chairman of the FTC coming out in favor recently. You've got even Trump. Trump said, let's do a federal privacy law. You've got even a, a sort of a, a bipartisan effort in the Commerce Committee working on this. You had a Eshu and Lofgren, the two reps in California, introduced just a couple weeks ago a bill called, I think, like Online Privacy Act or something, designed specifically to do just that, is to codify a federal standard. The debate that, I mean, there's a few things that I think are going to prevent any of that from getting legs. Number one, I mean, Washington's distracted with other stuff right now. (laughs) This is a particularly timely, right, day two of the impeachment hearings. I mean, who's got confidence that anything is going to get passed of consequence in the next you know, year, especially during an election cycle? Then you've got the substantive side of it, which is maybe more interesting, right? Yeah. Like, So if you're going to have a federal standard, you have to answer questions like, does that federal standard preempt 
state standards or does it provide a minimum baseline? Because right now you already have the California law. You've already got New York and Nevada and other states passing, like get, I mean, they're in the works. Other states are jumping in on this. So this becomes a ideological debate. On the Republican side, you want to preempt. You're saying, look, I'm getting in, we're, the federal government's getting into this to set the standard. On the Democrat side, at least as the Lofgren and Eshoo bill was intended to provide a minimum baseline, not to supplant the California law. So I don't know how they bridge that in a context like we're in now. And then you've got other issues like consent. How do you acquire all the things that GDPR left completely unaddressed? Like, how do you acquire consent? What's the legitimate way to do that? Is it, you know, since the, since we've, the, like all the self-regulatory regimes have evolved, the DAA and the NAI, the way that privacy has kind of worked in a self-regulated environment is an opt-out model yeah. where you're opted in unless you call, you know, click something and say, I don't want to be targeted anymore. Yep. And so that debate has to be resolved too, is do users need to actually opt in for their data to be used or can companies use it unless the consumer objects? Yeah. Those things are, are tough okay. to answer. That's a good segue to the last thing we want to yeah, talk yeah. about, which is what's your point of view on how a digital publisher, game, commerce, you name it, could align around some principles to somewhat protect themselves, or at least be on the right side of the principles and the essence of these laws. Yeah, I mean, it's everything from privacy by design to you know, you got. I think CCPA actually requires it's a, a data privacy officer. Like you actually, or is it GDP? I can't remember which one. I think it's maybe C- both. I think it's yeah. I think it's become both. But actually. you have to have a data. You have to have a chief privacy. Like every company that is of material size that processes a material amount of personal information ought to have someone that is familiar with what data the company's using, where and how it's storing that data, with whom it's being shared, from where it's being acquired. You have to kind of have that infrastructure. You also have have to have infrastructure to deal with all the subject access requests. So under both laws, GDPR and CCPA, users now have the right to call you and say, hey, what are you collecting and can you get rid of it? That's not easy to do because a lot of companies have not, you know, their tech stacks aren't set up to just find the needle in the haystack and get rid of it, yeah. purge it forever. So that's yep. hard to do. Yep. And then just fielding the requests, you have to have infrastructure for that. So, so if you were to align though on principles, like there's probably a privacy policy, you need to be very explicit and transparent in that. You probably want to start asking for explicit consent on things. I've noticed that with European sites are being, and some of the sites I visit, like yeah, big yeah. name media companies, are now like specifically we have a new cookie policy. Yes. Here's our privacy policy. Like this feels like they're getting ahead of the CCPA. Yeah, um, it feels like they obviously need a, a forum to contact them. One of the things that One Signal built in before I even got here that I thought was brilliant is. At a device level, you can see exactly what information is, and you can delete it with one click. It's, yep. it's in the UI, makes it super oh, easy great. to self-serve. Yeah, so if you have information on a user level, you can delete that. That gives them compliance for GDPR, and it gives them compliance for CCPA. Yep. But uh, what else besides the privacy policy and kind of the explicit consent would you say are, are things that they should be thinking about? Because think about it, there's a lot of companies out there that have three or four hundred thousand unique visitors. They're a passion community around a particular topic. 
Um, they're probably not collecting very much, but they're also they're coming into uh, this intersection. Maybe not with CCPA because yeah, it yeah. is limited to a certain number of consumers and a certain amount of revenue, but definitely with GDPR. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, look, I think like principles are you have to start with doing right by the consumer, right? And that's where Facebook got in trouble was the balance between the consumer's interests and the company's monetization started to get misaligned. I mean, one thing I saw in the OneSignal blog is that OneSignal, think back in July, decided to stop sharing data with advertisers. So as part of that principled analysis, you want to figure out what what's the business we want to be in? Do we want to be in the business of of sharing data and selling data and monetizing it? Is that align with our customers' and users' expectations, or is it really kind of beyond the, the scope? I think it behooves companies as well to take a hard look at how much data they're collecting and whether it's really necessary. Are there other ways to accomplish the business purpose without harvesting so much data? And I think that's, I think that's the spirit of some of these laws, is like, is all this really necessary? Like if you look at how much information is sent just with one ad request, is that all really necessary to get the right ad to the right user? I don't know. Maybe it is. But if you're starting from a principled conversation, you at least want to align yourself to the spirit at the beginning. And of course the letter, right? You've got to have... um, You've got to be set up to deal with data breaches. So part of that principled analysis would be are we properly prioritizing the safety of the data that we're housing, right? Are we, are we collecting the right information too much, too little? Are we sharing it with the right folks too much, too little? Are our data harvesting techniques you know, done with the right user notice? Yeah. And then are we putting it in the right place? Do we have the right controls around it you know, once we've acquired it? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, for one signal, it was it was interesting. Uh, so when I got here, we had a free product and we gave it away. Yeah. And the whole notion was you're trading the service for information, and we'd use that information to sell the to like big marketing companies that would advertise against it. The reality was it just wasn't that big of a business. It wasn't, and as we pivoted to being a SaaS software company, it was just much more congruent with our customers who are paying, who we weren't going to share data with anyways to move. So for us, it was an easy decision to deprecate all of that and not share any data. But I think it is hard for a traditional publisher, right, where their revenue stream maybe there might be some premium offering, but most of their revenue is coming from selling ads, and yeah. most of the revenue is coming from service providers who are taking that information and targeting users at a micro level. Yep. Um, so it's a difficult challenge, and I think for us, we are the push notification or messaging software for. Uh, hundreds of thousands of publishers, and I think that's where the the quandary is for them: is like, how do I mix and match this? And maybe most of them are, are small enough where CCPA is not going to be a real impact. Yeah. They still need to be focused on the principles. But these laws are coming down the road, and I, I suspect that the federal law will cover just about everybody. Well, Evan, hey, I really appreciate you joining no today. Thanks it's, for having that's me. That's awesome. It's my um, first podcast. Nice. Okay. Well, hopefully, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll revisit after CCPA <laughs> nice. and. and uh, We'll do, a, do another one. So thank you very much. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thanks for Take having me. Take care. Us.